Hey everybody, welcome to what is this show? Director Peace Theater. <laughs> yeah. I'm Abe Epperson. Uh this is uh Adam over here. That's me. What's up, Adam? I'm Adam and it's I'm his over episode. Here. Ooh. And I yeah, it's a, it's an Adam Episode show, baby. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh so here's the thing. You were telling me that we're gonna be talking about Snatch today, right? Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh so, is your theory about how good Brad Pitt's abs look in this movie? <laughs> they should be. We could do a whole full hour on those abs. Uh, he looks he looks so shredded. Sh- I love how twice in this movie, I mean, for reasons, because like he's a boxer or whatever. Right, of course. He just pops his shirt off. Just They're just like, yeah, just pop it off. He has <laughs> just like half of his scenes. It seems, Three scenes. Yeah, Four that's scenes, right. Maybe, I can, uh, maybe more. Because when his mom dies. <laughs> <laughs> his shirt's off his <laughs> It's like shirt, and then they also get, you know, pretty nice crotch shot uh, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the briefs. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like a role that w- he wanted carved out for himself, right? Like, it was such yeah, a Brad Pitt role. Way. It's such a Brad Pitt role. Yeah. Like, it's like 12, it's like 12 Monkeys Brad Pitt too. Because he's just yeah. like he's just a wild man. He wants to be a wild man. Yeah, he's right. like I can do anything. I actually think these are the roles that are his best roles. Uh, when he when he's a character actor and not yeah. a leading man. Yeah, I think that's what is in his <laughs> DNA. Uh, yeah, you speaking my language, baby. Yeah, I think he's really when he gets to be like let off the hook of carrying a movie. He actually is so good at enhancing a movie by being oh my god a fun side character. He's so good at that. I mean, uh, yeah. Brad, Brad from Burn After Reading. Yeah, oh my God! Right, uh, incredible. Oh my God. Like this is a great right, role for him. Brad? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is Brad. Uh, like that movie, he's great. Honestly, he's great in Ocean's Eleven as sort of second mm-hmm. banana. He's just a quiet, like weird ninja in that movie. <laughs> Yes, right. He's just that's in the exactly background it. all the time, <laughs> right? Eating stuff and knowing it's funny that he's eating stuff. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he actually is fairly convincing as a boxer in this movie. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, it also <laughs> his piece. The, it, my favorite joke of the movie now, having seen it like I don't know, fifteen times, maybe more, is there's that line that Jason Statham says to. Tommy, who's who's the actor, I forget his name. He says, did you understand a single word he said? And then it cuts back to Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and the laugh that he's doing huh, with his yeah. friends. Just this, <laughs> this laugh like he knows yeah. he's doing a, a trick. He's like, yeah, I got it's you. It's so good. And you see me, but I don't, you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fucking over. Bitch. Amazing laugh. Yeah. Just really yeah, warm your it's heart. it's great. Yeah. It's great. There's, it really is. Uh, there's so much... There's so much uh, joy in his performance, which yeah. is like a darker performance too. He's also asked to be like have real vengeance in his eyes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a By dark way, movie. Uh, Brad Pitt's name and Burn After Eating is Chad, not Chad. Brad. Either of which those is the good. same. Yeah, that's yeah, the same. the same. Yeah, I agree. Um, sorry to all the Chads and Brads out there <laughs> trying to shirk the other's name off their. They're good name. You could use them interchangeably. The deal. Yeah, it's like John and Jack. Yeah. You can do it. Brad and Chad are interchangeable. <laughs> Brad and Chad are interchangeable. Yeah. You heard it here first. Whatever one you yeah. want. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about Brad Pitt all the time. Not entirely. Not entirely. But we are here to talk about Snatch. Yeah, which is a, a pretty fun Adam's movie. F- 
Adam's favorite topic, you old <laughs> horn dog. Favorite. It is my favorite. Uh, I'm constantly bringing it up like on streams and uh, when uh-huh. you and I are just hanging out. It's like, hey, remember Snatch? That was a... Yeah. It's, that's something, huh? Uh, do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do. Hey, so did you watch Snatch in a theater? I can't recall. I do. I think so. I, I think did. so. Yeah, I saw this in a theater. I was the perfect age to watch it, which was, I think, like 18, I want to say. And this movie was like a spiritual home run for a young man at that time. Uh, Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, everybody loved this fucking movie. It was uh, for for like, you know, teenagers. It's perfect for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not as good as I remember it, uh, but... It's probably the reason that Guy Ritchie has gone on to direct, you know, a, like over a dozen films. Right. He did Lockstock, and yeah. then he did this, and then yeah. Matthew Vaughn left, or he, I think he left after like swept what away. Is it, like he left after yeah. swept away, which we're going to talk about in a second here. And then we're like, wait, maybe it's Matthew Vaughn yeah. who's I mean, good. That's right. <laughs> oh, you're going to talk. I got about that. that. Oh, yeah, shit. I got that in here. You're yeah. totally right. Uh, hey, so honest question: If I tell you now that we're going to see a movie. And that movie is directed by Guy Ritchie. What are your expectations at this point? Um, well, I've talked a lot about Guy Ritchie because I am constantly talking. <laughs> so you probably know, but I don't... I'm gonna get surprised. I'm me. gonna say, yeah, British hooligans crime. <laughs> uh, okay. Edit fast editing and music uh, montage, heavy amount of montage. Uh, cheap kind of three kings s camera like david o russell yeah. run and gun yeah uh like it's the sabotage video yes know? it is very much uh, like that which is like spike jones i believe so he kind of came out of that like irreverent punk model and then he got older and then he made i don't know movies about wizards and shit yeah he made sort of regular movies like I would argue, yeah. oh, the Sherlock Holmes too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would argue that at this point, Guy Ritchie is not a predictor of any particular quality for a film. Like right now, okay. in twenty twenty two, like what yeah. you said is true of him in the era in which Snatch came out. But yes, now twenty years later, uh, I don't know that we know what the movie is going to be. Is it going to be good? Is it, what's it going to be about? We don't even know. And even if I told you it was a crime movie, even that isn't really a guarantee. That's not true. Point. Yeah. Because like King Arthur wasn't a crime movie. Right. That's right. Well, and I'm saying like even movies right? that he, he made after he did, even movies that he made after Snatch like Revolver weren't so good. You know? Uh, Rock and Roller? Yeah, that was okay. Right? Uh, so Wasn't that him? It was him. Uh, he's sort of bizarrely one of the most successful directors and yet least dependable directors in Hollywood. Like I like, and by dependable, I don't necessarily mean that, uh, that, uh, that he always makes a bad film. Like, I don't mean good Mm -hmm. or bad even necessarily. I mean that like, I don't know what the film will be based on his involvement. Not right. recently. Yeah. He, like once he hit mainstream with Sherlock Holmes, I think he was just like, I'm all, I can do any movie now, baby. I mean, I it's, it big. it's funny that you say that because I'm going to uh, do Aladdin, <laughs> which he did. Uh, and it made a lot of money. He did Aladdin. Uh, He's the right man for the job. 
Well, sometimes uh, he makes money and sometimes he doesn't. That's the other thing is like you don't even know box office wise what you're going to get. Like the King Arthur series was supposed to be the first of six movies, mm-hmm. and it, it was it performed so badly they canceled it. You know, uh, so like <laughs> in a sense, like Guy Ritchie kind of falls into what I would call the M Night Shyamalan zone, where there was a lot mm-hmm. of promise at the start, and then over time, it's just he's just become a filmmaker who I don't know what to expect from. You know, yeah. Uh, I and like to your point, Guy Ritchie when he like early in his career when he was making Lock, Stock, and Snatch, uh, mm-hmm. he was like, "This guy's like a new voice, right? Like this guy's a revelation." Mm-hmm. And there sort of rose a debate about whether it was actually him or his producer Matthew Vaughn who were the real stylistic inspirations. Uh, like for instance, uh, when Matthew, like Matthew Vaughn won an award for Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, uh, from like the British Academy or whatever, like he won best mm-hmm. new filmmaker and Guy Ritchie didn't. Uh, Ooh. so that's yeah. interesting. And then Vaughn, I think sort of to propagate this question, went on to make Lair Cake, uh, as a kind of rebuttal after Swept Away <laughs> because, Swept Away is essentially a shipwreck yeah. of a movie mm-hmm. yeah, that bad. may or may not have been the result of Madonna yokoing that partnership. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what did and what did Matthew Vaughn do? He went on. So he, was, he did a bunch. He did uh, he did Layer Cake, but then also he Layer did Layer Cake was immediately. Yeah, he did um, Kick Ass. Uh, he, he did, did, and then he got into first, the X Men. Uh, yeah, X Men's. Yeah, he did a bunch of X Men. And then he did Kingsman. Yes, and then the Kingsman. So yeah. he's also been successful. And the style is prevalent in both yes. careers post their split. But I'm ready. That's interesting. Layer Cake and uh, Kingsman mm-hmm. are the mo- more recent kind of. Uh, God, Layer Cake is recent. I, 2004. Yeah, yeah, that's really old. A couple years um, later, but like, yeah, yeah. Just I'm just trying to point those ones out because they're very indicative of like the stylistic approach of Lockstock and 100%. Snatch is very far and away more accomplished in those films, which Vaughn had no Guy Ritchie to rely on. So the- whereas Guy Ritchie went other places, like he started focusing on camera more, right? Like you remember yes, Sherlock did. Holmes with like the 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 camera that you mount on the actor. I do. And he's like running through the forest and the slow motion with all the cannonballs. Uh, you know, all people have seen Sherlock Holmes, the Holmeses. <laughs> uh, like all that stuff, all those sequences were not the editorial driven. Right. Uh, it, it. I think the question of which of them is actually the voice of Snatch is still not clear. Uh, I think that they're probably like it's got to be just a collaboration. Absolutely, like it, right? Absolutely. Uh, by the way, just an interesting fact for those of you who are ready to throw Guy Ritchie's talent out the window: Guy Ritchie also was the writer of every single movie he's ever done, except the, the Sherlock Holmes movies. He wrote Hot the screenplay. Damn. I know that was a surprising fact to me. So, like, you can't Our say tour style. Yeah, you can't say the guy didn't have a voice in it. I mean, he wrote them and directed them. You know, so. Mm-hmm. He, it's, he's, an inter- he's an enigmatic figure in that way. Here is a quote from him that describes his creative process, Abe. I, I hope yes, you're ready. Yes. I hope you're ready. This is the shit I want mm. read into my veins. My creative process has never been something I can put into words. It's very random, very mm. scattered, and can sometimes lead down dark alleyways and dead ends. Ooh. 
it's got everything. It's is that the perfect quote? It really is. I think we found the perfect quote. It really oh, is. Doesn't it? You can't even put it to words. Yes. And it gets dark, everybody. I want to let you know that this is a dark zone over here. <laughs> and if you enter, I can't, you know, I can't I can't protect you. That's right. Now, <laughs> I, I'm Guy, I'm Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Abe can't vouch for your safety now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're going down some dark corridors, and they may be dead ends, friends. Uh, now, before we get too like sarcastic about that quote, it is perfect. Uh, I think it's fair that, like, you know, a, a, a normal reading of it is like that isn't that wild of a quote about creative processes. You know, like certainly most artists like to describe themselves in this enigmatic, and then it comes to me way, but like. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about it is it's actually a perfect quote to describe Snatch. Uh, it's it it it's a great quote to describe what makes it so memorable. In fact, random scattered. Yeah, yeah. it's random. It's scattered. It's shotgun blasts and uh, and things I th- just fizzle out because yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Life is like yeah, that person died. So the, all the shit that that mattered. It doesn't matter That's it anymore. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Like um, Benicio. <laughs> you know, oh, you're like invested in his like, so is he going to gamble? Is he? Oh, no. No, no he's just, shit happens. He'll be a dead boy with a tea cozy on his head yeah. about 30 minutes yeah. into the movie. Yeah. yeah. And like, so, you know, I want to put everybody in a time and place to kind of appreciate where we were when Snatch came out. As a 20-year-old, 20-ish-year-old, when I saw it for the first time, I thought this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Hell uh, yes, dude. Yeah. And like, you know, at 20, I had only seen maybe four of the AFI top 100 lists. So, like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not mm. informed. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. It's like walking around. Have you guys seen movies? <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. You guys heard of movies? They're fun. Fuck. They are fucking cool. They are so fun. Yeah. No. So, I remember the conversation about Snatch at the time, mm. was very much about how stylish it is. It's a stylish of film. Course. And, uh, which of course, you know, suggests that uh, this mad creative process he has generates this stylish film. Now, Abe, as a 40-plus-year-old now, going back and rewatching it, I'll tell you, uh, I don't think Snatch is that stylishly shot. Uh, I would say it's actually not that well shot or lit, or does or designed, um, and by well I don't Ooh. mean competent. I mean it's not like mm-hmm. a dazzling display of craftsmanship in any of those fronts. Um, sometimes I would even describe it as pedestrian. Um, yeah, you sometimes get the feeling of like we just need a room that looks like that. Yeah, like we just need a room. Yeah, a small just room. wherever. Let's put the boxing promoters trailer in the middle of who knows where this room is. A bunker? Yeah. Uh, you know, a concrete enclave? What do we got? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a wall? Uh, exactly. A lot of times yeah. in this movie in particular, the coverage, and by which I mean, you know, the angles that we're getting the drama from, is pretty functional. You know, like, like yeah, people... it's like f- usually flat, right? It's pretty flat. People walk into a scene and, like, we get, you know, them walking up, usually a steady cam. And then, a lot of 50-50s. Uh, yeah, a lot of 50-50s. Then here's the shot of this side, here's the shot of that side, and we're done. Um, yeah. They're not even necessarily composed well sometimes. Um, so Yeah, that's what I think. That's why I mentioned like Three Kings. Yes, but Three Kings you know, is... David O. Russell also does that, t- that, that stuff. Yeah, he's a lot better at it at, in that movie than Snatch, I would argue. You love him. I, no, I don't love him, but I love that movie. 
Uh, you're right about that, though. <laughs> you're, you're right, right about, about that. that. <laughs> uh, so, but look. So then the question becomes: So how did we get this idea that snatches this super stylish film? And the answer, as Abe already alluded to, is that Guy Ritchie is actually a genius at a specific thing, and that thing is post-production techniques. Damn, sorry to blow up your spot. No, not I a problem. I... Uh, not a problem because you were yeah, right. You are. You are right. Yeah. No, you. <laughs> No, you are right. both of us. Uh, <laughs> many of his techniques are actually like way ahead of his time in Snatch, like the post-production stuff. So yeah. what I want to do is I want to talk about, so like, you know, what is it that he does that's so good? I want to talk about the difference between his post-production techniques and like, you know, the cinematography stuff that normally you would see in a movie. And uh, a little bit, just touch on the ways in which his film has influenced films that have come since, you know, uh, and just cinema since. For sure. Um, so an argumentative person, let's say a YouTube commenter, might say, wait a minute, Adam, you just said this film isn't designed or well shot. What about the greatest character introduction sequence of all time that starts at the beginning of this movie and shows us every single character in it and was imitated 10,000 times by everybody with a camera. Oh, where it does, like, credit, yeah, where it says, like, this is who this person it's is. It's fucking awesome. You know, kind of. It, it's, it's like he took Clue yes. and said, like, I'm going to do it, like, really stylish. That's exactly what it's like. Cool. It's, it's, yeah. It is the cinematic equivalent of, like, a player's list in a Shakespeare play, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know you're in for some good shit, and a lot of people have been trying God to imitate damn, it. damn, have we overused that that this trope to oh yeah death but like to be fair it's his trope like snatch yeah. snatch basically invented this well, thing you know it's it comes from tv does it not it, like think it of the a team and think of the credits sequence totally is he not doing that uh i think that he's doing it in so far as he's giving us a character introduction so he didn't invent that but for right. a movie, like, I don't think we're even expected to retain everyone's names here. Yeah. I think it's really right. more. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's, it's, it's not the even. stylistic. You're right. It's the stylistic. Yeah. But it's more than that. Yeah. There's something that's uniquely his. And I think it's because it's like, when we choose to cut out isn't like conventional wisdom. It's his own brand mm-hmm. of like sloppiness that's right. or something and that is true he is like he said it himself i can't put it into words <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's a dark corridor no yeah sometimes so like emo boy <laughs> i mean i think you're right like i would say you're right that it's similar to a tv character intro in that it's doing the same thing but most t- tv character intros are also like you know and then mr t as murdoch or whatever the name of the actor that, that character right. is and they, like, uh, smile or doing yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, telling you who the actors are and what characters they're playing. That's not what happens in Snatch. In Snatch, it's literally just, here's all the people that are going to be in the movie and and sort of a picture of who they are. It's really more like a tone setter for who is each of these people and then sort of woven mm-hmm. together to give you, like, a, this is what this movie is going to be like. Yeah. You know? it's 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 like a tone introduction more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. argue, so it rules. I saw it when I was in college. I saw it imitated fifty times. I saw it imitated mm-hmm. in film school. It's a thing now, right? Like it invented this thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that character intro sequence is actually the exception that proves the rule we're going to talk about. So most of the time in Snatch, the camera moves are 
are not planned very carefully. Um, this is the one time where it felt like he really carefully built a sequence with camera, like where the pans are, where the mm-hmm. where the cuts are and stuff, and then built transitions into the camera placement and into the camera moves. Um, oh, yeah. There are other examples of it. I'll give you a few. Um, one is when we, like the beginning of the movie where we get the Orthodox Jewish guys who are going to end up robbing it's the- perfect example. Yeah. yeah. So like there's a really smart move there that is basically panning over six different uh, security television screens. And uh, that's a camera move, right? And it's one really smart move. Mm-hmm. It introduces the characters. It introduces what's going to happen to them and where we are. And then it's really sharp too. Yeah. Like they cut, it's like, it feels meandering like the characters themselves, like really designed, like with a speed in mind. Yes. It's really, that's a really well designed thing. Um, and it's a perfect introduction into who those characters are. It's very fun. But mm. even in those two sequences, right? The robbery and the character intro sequence, the, yeah. uh, the actual emotional effect is not the camera move. It's it's being done through editing in post. So right. like for instance, when the when the actual robbers walk into the uh, I guess jewel factory, <laughs> whatever that place is. Yeah, the jewel factory. Uh, yeah, the jewel factory. Yeah. Uh, when the robbery jumps off, that's when editing starts happening, right? And like and yeah. wild editing, like we and drums. Yes. Drums and music, so we're getting like staccato freeze frames. We're getting zooms. And we're getting spins. You know? Yeah, and you you get like middle like or you get like young uh, Edgar Wright just 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 losing his fucking mind. Absolutely. In the theaters. I mean, just like oh <laughs> yeah, exactly. Edgar yeah, Edgar Wright's just oh movies. Exactly. Oh, I I gotta be this guy. I have to do this right. I I can do it even better. So in the character intro sequence, a lot of the cool effect that you remember is actually being achieved by speed ramping. Right, so there's a yes. ton of speed ramping, and then of course the most famous thing about it: these fantastic punch zoom freeze frames. Right, uh, mm-hmm. so and then like you don't think about it, but most most of the transitions are like the dumb ones that are in your editing suite because the company thought it was funny, mm-hmm. and like Guy Ritchie is the guy who figured out how to use shit like a star wipe or like slide wipes or whatever that you've been... or just slowing shit down and speeding it up. Yeah. Uh, speed ramps that wasn't very that was used in some uh at this time i want to say like um music videos and stuff like i'm thinking yes. of like but some. it was usually like not cosmetic in the same way it was usually functional like as a a beat in like where the 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 singer has to like go f- forward and or all the way back and forward in the set or something like that and they want to speed it up to show time lapse like that like there's it's functional here. It's like, I'm just doing it so I can like zoom in on something Mm -hmm. and like give it emphasis because I want to put a loud sound effect on it. That's like very unique. Um, even at the, even as late as this movie was made like 2000, which is crazy. You you didn't really see it being done this way, uh, before this movie in in as much, uh, Mm -hmm. again, and I, I can't say this enough. Like the, some of the transitions here are dumber than star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. the 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 actual tools he's using to get from one scene to the next are dumb, and yet because he's so irreverent about the tradition of film transitions, we buy it and it works and it's fun. And uh, most of his stylistic effects are actually being done in this way, generated through mm-hmm. post, 
not even necessarily planned for during production, but sort of achieved after the fact. Um, So I want to go through just a few different versions, like things he does. And Except when Brad Pitt gets punched. That's the one good uh, one, yeah, in the water, the, where he goes in the and water. And it's photographically yes, like, it is. haunting, is it not? Because the strobe effect on yes. it, it's like you feel like something's going, something is wrong. It's actually a very captivating image, and that was not post. No, the one, yeah, you named the one photographic thing that he did that was like really above and beyond in that sequence. But most yeah. of the boxing match, which we're going to talk about, is actually standard brands editing stuff that he does throughout the film. Uh, it, but like, so meaning not necessarily planned with camera, uh, sort of put together more in post. <coughs> but we'll talk about right. that. Uh, so you're totally right on. So let's talk about the first technique. And I actually, this is a thing that happens a lot in films, but Guy Ritchie shows how good of a storyteller is. He is through this technique, which is simple intercutting. Okay, like... Mm-hmm. Simple intercutting is a basic film thing, right? And by that, I mean, like, we have one uh, piece of story that's being intercut with another piece of story, and they're both advancing in a parallel way, and they comment on each other. And uh, mm-hmm. this is done all over the t- like all the time in film, but Guy Ritchie is, I think he shows in the way that he uses it in Snatch that he understands it and can use it better than most filmmakers. Um, here are the two times I'm thinking of. The first one is that music montage when Tyrone is being chased and tortured by Bricktop's thugs is intercut mm-hmm. with the hair chase that Tom, Turkish and Tommy make with the, I'm going to call them the travelers because uh, the terms they use in the film are racist. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to use the terms the or the accents that they use in the movie. So, But mm-hmm. Brad Pitt and his cohort, we will be calling travelers today. Um, so it's intercut, right? And... Mm-hmm. It's a little heavy-handed, but it's so effective at making Tyrone's terror rise to the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when you're watching that rabbit run for its life with those dogs after it, and then you watch, of course, Tyrone being stuffed in a trunk and being pulled into a pit, and it's it's like, oh my god, like, this guy is in very serious danger, and it's a break tonally from everything that happened before that in the movie. Like, this movie's really sort of throws death away all the time. Like, people die in this movie all the time, and it's very silly and and Casual shootings, like a Tarantino movie. Yeah, Yeah. and they're not gory like a Tarantino movie. They're just like, and then this guy's dead now. He got a bolt in the head. That's it. Uh, Mm -hmm. This sequence shows that he can flip the stakes uh, on a dime if he wants to by using basic storytelling techniques, and suddenly Tyrone's death really matters. You know, uh, and also it's still yeah. in tone with the film. It's still raucous. It's still unconventional. Um, See, to me, that's Matthew Vaughn. Okay, I mean, maybe what you're saying right now, because that the the playful navigation of minimizing death and pain with jokes, and then you think he's doing switching that? gears and then putting it into now you care about this death all over Kingsman. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Not not in Sherlock Holmes, not in any of that other shit. I, yeah. I'm willing to accept that uh, on spec, you know, understanding we both we can't prove for sure, but the fact that Matthew Vaughn keeps doing it, and I haven't really seen it much in Guy Ritchie films, maybe you're right. Uh, yeah, it's a specious logic, my favorite kind of logic. <laughs> the kind that belongs in a podcast. <laughs> the kind that is just me talking out my ass. Yeah. Now, just so that everybody understands... 
like why the why I'm talking about the post here and not the shots. The shots themselves are actually not that clearly set up. Like if you look at the shots of the hare and the dog, they're basically on a long lens and they're just tracking shots. Like pa- like he's li- we're literally panning yeah. with the rabbit and it's clearly being cut up in an artistic way in post. Um, and also, don't forget that the music is like, yeah, the music's awesome. It's yeah. like fucking. Yeah. you're like, oh, I'm so fucking amped right now. I think it was. I think that song's called Disco Science. It's a rad song. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Tyrone's shots also fairly functional. They're wide shots. Sometimes they're a little bit low angle, which I think is the one thing that Guy Ritchie likes to do stylistically that really works. Um, he does like low yeah, angle stuff, yeah. and I and I dig it. It works. Um, he's not the only one doing it, but he does it well. Uh, but for the most part, you know, he's just doing jump cuts to the pieces of that that are interesting, and it works, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So he uses the same technique, by the way, this intercutting, a little bit later when he shows how the Travelers got their revenge on Bricktop. Uh, and yeah. that's like that's like pure storytelling actually giving us all the facts, because a lot of things are happening there. And it is the stellar sequence it's great. in the movie. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Like Because it doesn't just... It's the most memorable one. That's interesting uh, that you think that. To me. Okay. I like that. I, it's not for me, but I like that you think that. Uh, I would say we don't just mop up loose ends in that sequence, which is what it could have been. It could have just been sort of like dotting every I and crossing every T, and then, then it's over. Instead, we get, because of his intercutting, like a really violent, cathartic uh sum up of brick for brick top you know and we hate that guy i mean like he's he's you love to hate him but he's a scumbag you know like a really hateable oh villain. yeah yeah he's the worst yeah he's really he's... bad um and in a in a great way like what a what a lovable hateable movie villain and yeah he's a unique looking guy yeah. and he the way in which he all teeth is this both unassuming yeah he's all teeth unassuming and at the same time the content of his words are just just filthy yeah just a filthy awful son of a bitch just yeah very much so so the fact so we need a satisfying ending for him and we get it and we get it stylistically through like the violent cuts and through like the that great (laughs) oasis track you know that goes all the way through the fight uh and it's pretty it's really effective you know um, yeah, and it's cool. It's very it's cool. The brand of Guy Ritchie. It's like, look how cool this it's is. It's cool, <laughs> but it's not. It's not stylistic just for stylistic's sake. It's it's cool and emotionally no, rewarding. That's a, that is very good to point out yeah. because often style for style's sake is cool. Right. But and that's a distinction we make. But that is not true. That's the whole point is that you can be cool and meaningful or at least apt for your story the same time that's yeah so i also want to point out he does know when not to use this technique this like intercutting thing so we have that car accident piece that's about two-thirds of the way through the film and Mm -hmm. most directors would do would have like the three groups of people in the car they would cut it in such a way that the accident all happened at the same time and instead he kind of does this rashomon version where we're intercutting the scenes but uh, what happens is we kind of piece together how all of them were related after we get all three versions of the accident, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the best part I, of it is... This happens in both accidents, by yeah. the way. I don't know which one you're talking about because the Boris one where Boris gets Out of the trunk. hit by a car. Yes, that one. Yeah, but also when they hit Freddy Four Fingers, Benicio Del Toro. 
Oh, that's right. There's a, they they show her, uh, their perspective. We do see that he's in the van, but then we cut later and we show, oh, this is how he died. You know, that's like right. How he got caught. Right. They do. Know? That's right. They do do that. Uh, yeah. So he does a little bit of like, I guess I'll call it Pulp Fiction sort of a nonlinear uh, tessellating moments. And instead of that's right. cutting them together in a temporal way, which is what most people would do, uh, he doesn't. And it works. And it makes some moments in the the string of events more satisfying, such as when uh, when Saul and uh, Tyrone, Saul and Vincent, I think, uh, when they hit yes. Boris the Blade uh, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, it's shocking. It's like, whoa, where did he come from? And then you find out, oh, the trunk mm-hmm. popped because this other car got in a car wreck. Oh, they got in a car wreck mm-hmm. because uh, Turkish and Tommy threw milk out the window. You know, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, and the order of events makes each of those things surprising. And it's, we loved this in the early 2000s. Totally. We had like Amoris Peros and, um, Memento, obviously. Like there's a lot of nonlinearity happening at this time, which is just a thing. I just think it's funny that we just, for no reason whatsoever, we're just like, yes, mess up the chronology of everything yes, yes i love this that is good art and then like six years later no more of that we're done <laughs> it might be because our love for pulp fiction finally started to fade yeah uh, as all things yeah do. as they all do that's right so um now i want to talk about what i think is probably the most memorable thing that guy Ritchie contributed to the cinematic lexicon in this film and that is uh post zooms okay so post zooms mean that I'm taking the image that I captured in the film in the editing bay, and then I'm intentionally adding a zoom after the fact to uh, the shot, whatever it is, right? Now, mm-hmm. in almost every movie ever, a post zoom is a thing you act- you're trying to sneak into the film. Uh, you're trying to usually enhance a camera zoom that didn't go as far That's as true. you want. Yeah. Uh, like, or maybe it's like, I want to add a tiny little movement that feels like a camera zoom, uh, cause I need something here, but I want it to feel like it was done on the day with a camera. Um, and the reason why is post zooms feel fake. Uh, they, right. Because the resolution changes yes. and it's, it feels um, robotic. So you get more pixelated. Yeah. Like yeah, a camera, a lens zoom is a thing that feels like a person with a hand did it. Uh, and if you want to know what that feels like, watch True. every Tarantino film. He does it all the time. Pump zooms. True. Uh, but like in the 70s, yeah. some of the more noticeable zooms were done with servos. with servos. Like think of the 70s, like Nashville or something like that, where it like zooms in at a constant rate. Or think uh, in more recently, Django Unchained, mm-hmm. when they zoom in on Leonardo DiCaprio and he like holds up the wine glass. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. it's like those, that style was done by machines in the past. Literally the only reason it feels off, I think, is that you notice the relative resolution change. Whereas optically, you're not doing anything to the resolution. You're just zooming in that's true i think you feel the yeah. roboticness if the speed of it is too fast true it can be managed poorly in post yeah if it's creeping it, like a servo zoom feels fine when it's a creeping zoom which is how it was mostly done in the mm-hmm. 70s where it feels like literally the image is closing in a little bit uh right. but guy Ritchie doesn't do any of that <laughs> he doesn't follow any of those rules mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. what he's doing is actually using it in conjunction with speed ramping meaning changing the speed of things and jump cuts. And it feels like, uh, it feels like he's actually executing a lot of control on the camera 
but he's not. Uh, he's 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 actually creating a sort of visceral disregard for what he shot. Uh, yes, and and that is he's just messing up the yeah. place. It's I mean he's he's with post zooms at least he's almost like a Jackson Pollock right where he's just sort of like throwing mm-hmm. him against the wall, and uh, we get a feel for how this technique's gonna work pretty much right away in this film in the robbery. I think that is like the big tone setting scene of the film. Yeah, freeze frames. Yeah, I mean spins. Those came from like Italian neorealism, yeah. the freeze frames yeah, yeah, yeah. and like the narration and stuff. So there's like a coolness factor that he's like, chi- or even French New Wave. I think him watching movies from like the 70s made him go like, this is what cool is. And he like kind of brought it back, but he like mixed them all together. And that's what really feels like. Fresh. He is fresh. Yeah. Agreed. Exactly. So like. One of the things that's so cool about the way he does this in this movie is he actually splits apart all the different elements that normally we're trying to weave together in a film to feel like one experience. He intentionally frag- fragments them so they feel like three experiences at once uh, that kind of gr- gives you this visceral feeling. So, like, again, think of the robbery scene, right, with all that funky baseline stuff going on. And there are three pieces going on there. There's the visual piece... And then there's what the people are saying, the auditory piece, and then there's the music piece, right? And none of them are lined up. None of them are synced together at all. So it's just a sort of shotgun blast of there's these visuals, and then there's these screams that are not people on screen screen saying them. Uh, and then there's the music, which is sort of like, I don't know, I guess thrown over the entire thing. And it feels like uh, this sort of, again, noisy pastiche. Right. And uh, the way that he sort of seams them together is through the post zoom. Like that's the thing that kind of makes it feel designed. Um, And it also sort of becomes his trademark and snatch uh, because when he gives himself his director credit, it's on a gigantic zoom with a gun on a low resolution image. And there's his directed credit. Uh, Right. So it's like, this is what this film's going to be. He does like, um, proto i guess four years earlier he does like an arrested development joke which is the joke in arrested development which is uh i've made a big mistake (laughs) i've made a terrible mistake because that's done with the aside of a shakespearean actor commenting about their own situation guy Ritchie, how many times in this movie turkish Freeze frames on Turkish and set, and it's basically here like, comes a comment, right? Yeah, he's just like, and now at this point, I'm thinking I'm dead, yeah. or at this point, this is exactly you know, why I didn't want to be. Yeah, to- Tommy doesn't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's this, it's Break like to- uh, he's just Tommy. giving. Yeah, and so it's like the same joke in that it's um like it's not just the idea like of a fr- freeze frame and narration that is even that's not Guy Ritchie didn't invent that, but like, it's this weird, like this is the truth. And then cut to, Nope, this is not the truth. Right. That one, two punch is actually in a, like he doesn't do it for like, he does it for laughs, but because he's not like Mitch Hurwitz, he's not like a funny writer not or really, like, yeah. he doesn't have an actor who's performing at the level of Will Arnett who can like just manifest a meme suddenly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's not working with comedians and stuff, but he has that. And that's, I think like editing sometimes with the stylistic stuff, you really have to have like the, you have to think of things like comedian. Yeah, you have to think of like, how do you break the system? Yeah. How do I break this? You know? And he does. 
uh, and he's really successful. I would say, like, because he so capably uses this technique, uh, it sort of makes the idea of designing an action sequence feel outdated. Yeah. Like, like instantly, yeah. it's like, oh, you could be doing this instead of planning your cool shots or whatever. Uh, and the funny thing is, it's easier to do it his way, and it's cheaper. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like this is a much more efficient way to make a film, if you want to make an action mm-hmm. comedy, than to do it for real. And it became the hallmark of digital filmmaking. Like, digital right. filmmaking uses this all the time. It's now a staple. Um, we've done it. You and I have done it a bunch of times as filmmakers at Cracked. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to, like, my next, and I think my favorite use of it, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. My favorite use of it is he does post zooms for emphasis uh, whenever he does split screens. So there's a few times in the movie where you, you get two people on the phone, right? Which is, again, very when Harry met Sally, right? right. A thing you've seen a bunch of times. Now, the problem with split screens is that oftentimes when you're watching two people talk, you kind of don't know what to look at, right? You're, you're, your eye kind of yeah. bounces aimlessly between them. And My problem with the split diopter shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, a, a capable director usually will time the lines so that you know where to look. But Guy Ritchie actually uses a post zoom to control this problem. True. And what he does where is it's like, look here. Yeah. <laughs> what he does is he literally, uh, he'll, when somebody's talking or when you're supposed to look at one side over the other, he'll zoom in on it. And like, it'll get a little bigger on screen. The other one will shrink a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may seem like, yeah, okay, that not that big of a deal. But, like, it really wasn't done in films that much. Uh, and some of the shots, by the way, that he uses in the split screen, they're not even good. They're, like, really sloppy mm-hmm. shots. Like, the, there's one of Boris's brother where he explains what to do with the diamond. And he's out of focus. Like, it's a, it's not a good yeah, shot. Yeah, that was probably looked like back fo- focus issues yeah. because they would have seen it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got flaws. It's, yeah. yeah it's I mean... Run and gun, baby. That's right. It feels very run and gun. It feels like a run and gun mistake. So, like... Guy Ritchie deploys this technique to draw our eye, which makes us feel comfortable during the split screen, which makes it feel much more designed. Mm -hmm. And it's become literally the way that like online platforms do phone calls now. Like when you do something like zoom or like some other, uh, some other platform like that, they use this technique. Like we're going to pump up the person that's talking and the people that aren't are going to get smaller and like snatches, one of the first places we it's saw not, that. It's not how I use Zoom. I click whoever's talking. I quickly click on their icon <laughs> so I see full screen. No, but you know what? Like if you were, if you wanted a <laughs> yeah, passive yeah, yeah. experience, being an asshole. you're being a delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like it's like a grid. In fact, we've we've pluralized it. If anything, right. so and I think probably the more the more widely seen version of how this technique is sort of spread into the bloodstream is that. If you watch almost any YouTube video, like almost any of them that have been made in the last five years, you'll see that they create punch zooms for emphasis all the time. Like they'll like punch in uh, to number one, create uh, time lapses for jump cuts, and number two, to make a thing that's kind of a whatever joke land. Like they do that stuff yes. all the time. It's like kind of the thing that makes a thing feel like a YouTube video. I don't. That's interesting. Are you attributing that to Guy I'm, Ritchie's influence? I'm just saying that this is an early example of that. I'm not saying he invented it. I'm just saying 
That's an interesting thought because I would argue it's reality television that Which, did by that. the way, he does. Guy Ritchie Which, created uh, reality so, television a little bit. He created not, not, not Sorry, didn't create the genre. He created <laughs> programs for reality television. He did a little bit of that. I think I know what you're yeah. saying. Oh, he did a he yes, worked he worked in, in a Okay, that's yes, interesting. That's what I'm saying. That is interesting. That is kind of like that makes so much sense actually. You know, when we talk about like Ridley Scott mm-hmm. as like a clear indication of like a commercial mm-hmm. director, like I've never and I and like or like Michelle Gondry as a pure like uh music video director, I've never heard a more perfect explanation of someone who does reality television is someone who's like trying to be guy Ritchie. yeah i mean that's because right. it's it's constant motion and throwing everything at you until you're like this is a thing this feels good this is like yeah this is there it's uh it's it's just a cacophony for the senses but it does seem like it it's cohesive much like i don't know reality television is a cacophony of nonsense that feels cohesive because there's like a, all right, now we have to do the thing. Now we have to elect one of you fuckers off the <laughs> island or something. You know, it's just like, it's just like, all right, we got to throw one of you going to oblivion. Yeah. We got to yeah. throw one of you into it's, a couple then to some sharks or whatever the fuck. Yeah. It's just bring out the new fucking. Yeah. It's fucking, I, I, I have my own issues with reality sure. TV. I don't mean to air that no, out. That's great. Here. I apologize. But you're right though. But it's just, I think you're no. And I'm like doubling down on what you're saying. I think you might be right to say that there's like a causal aspect about the, the birth of Guy Ritchie and the coolness factor of his, like, I don't care. I'm irreverent for the production methods. Lexicon. Yes. Edi- editing lexicon that came before me. Not that he was the first punk rock guy. Not at guy. all. I mean, no, like, not at all. Yeah, y'all ain't got shit on Brackage. Yeah, but he's. Let's talk about Stan Brackage. But he's a synthesis drawn on film. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's the idea of this punk rock attitude where it's just like I don't give a fuck. Uh, that permeates his films, uh, and especially in the editing. And uh, I would argue that, that influenced reality TV. Which influenced the thing that you're saying with YouTube That's videos. right. That's very... I mean, That's, they're not one-to-ones, but there's no, something No, I mean, no, nothing in cinema anymore is one thing created everything else. But, like... Yeah, of course. I think he is one of the factors. Uh, just a quick side note. Um, digital punching in is kind of the, the... One of the reasons it became so popular for YouTube is that it actually makes it a video much cheaper to make. Uh, and the reason is it's so easy to do. What's that? Well, it's so easy to thing. do. It's as well. easy to do, and like it saves you the trouble of having to shoot it twice because you can actually resize and post, and nobody's like that looks like shit anymore. Like we don't have that problem. Like Abe and I, when we when we used to shoot the YouTube videos for Cracked, uh, we would literally shoot one size of like let's say it's Tom Ryman uh, doing jokes, and then while we were there, we would create a second size through a digital punch in and then intercut. So it looked mm. like we had two shots, but we didn't, we had one shot and, uh, because we didn't want to do the fake punch ins cause that seemed too cheap. Uh, and mm. I think YouTube has just subsequently been like, no, there is no too cheap. This is just a cheaper, this is an easier way to do it. Yeah. You know, I made that decision for after hours. I made that decision at the beginning when I was like, uh, although VR, Justin VR yeah, also Justin Byer, was, yeah. helped make yeah, that. Yeah. yeah he, he, he also made it, that decision. But like we were like when we first shot the kind of uh, the the rehearsal for it, we had this idea of shooting 
there's 1080p cameras. We shot, we authored at 720, first right? After Hours at 720, yeah, yeah. which is crazy. And so you can blame me for that. <laughs> and the reason is because if you want to manifest that kind of chemistry, you can't do it for 12 hours straight. Especially overnight. And, and that's what we yeah. need in order to shoot all those shots. Right. And so you should be thanking me. But then, yeah, 4K cameras came along. And we shot 1080p. But, like, by that point, YouTube, like, it was the norm that, like, sketches were authored at 4K or at 1080p in the early days. So we always looked not great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was done out of necessity. And man. nobody really cares when it's done well. I think that's that's what Guy Ritchie... <laughs> They're there for the faces. Well... The jokes. That's what Guy Ritchie, I think, proves. As a, That's what Snatch proves, at least, is that, yep. like, Guy Ritchie clearly doesn't think that framing or lighting or even the production image at all is sacred. You know, like he, he is willing yeah. to violate all those conventions for yeah. emotional emphasis. And I think the transgressive nature of that is what makes Snatch so cool. It's like, man, this guy doesn't yeah. give a shit. He's doing it, you know? Um, so the last aspect I want to talk about is, uh, it's, again, may seem very obvious, but it's very post-driven. And that is what we're going to call cutaways and the sound, the the soundscape. Okay, cutaways and the soundscape, and I think they actually belong together because he uses them together a lot. Um, so cutaway gags mm-hmm. uh, is basically when you know you have somebody say something and you cut to a totally different space for like a ten second joke or a five second joke that's just a commentary, and then cut back. Mm-hmm. Um, those gags are not new. Um, they've been in comedy stuff since at least Airplane. Um, you know, airplane used them fairly heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, but uh, they weren't used a lot in movies. Uh, they were used more often in television shows, like especially cartoons, because you don't have to actually create the mm-hmm. space; you can just draw it. Um, and then also mm-hmm. in like concurrent television shows, like Scrubs, um, or as you said, and definitely probably most famously, Arrested Development. Right? Arrested Development does cutaway gags right. all the time. Um, Guy Ritchie putting them in this movie, uh, sort of brought that sensibility into a mainstream film and popularized it. Um, and it also made the movie funny, you know, it's kind of his best joke is being able to do cutaway gags. And, uh, the fact that he doesn't even think of the timeline or the pace of the film as being sacred is another thing that makes it kind of cool. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, why we only really remember out of all of his film, like filmography, we really only remember his mm-hmm. first two films uh, lovingly. Yeah, lovingly, right? Fondly. Uh, because he created. Like something, he was like at the spear. Yeah, he was the tip of the spear. Of something. And yeah. he was sort of the cultural language of digital filmmaking before digital filmmaking was a thing. Um. And uh, part of what made his cutaways so successful is that he also used what you might call a subjective soundscape, a thing you also didn't see in movies very much. So what I mean by that Mm. is instead of having like, (laughs) instead of having like a normal production sound or even like, or score or whatever, he would put cartoonish sound cues and like, there there it is. Yeah. Music cues that are just like, the C something word. else uh that's right <laughs> yeah. uh that are just there for the feeling of it and have no grounding in reality uh here's mm-hmm. some examples so it doesn't seem so abstract one of the most famous things in the movie is 
anytime Avi has to fly to London, right? They have that fantastic like montage that yep. you know Edgar doing a shot. Yeah, yeah. 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 Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright did it. Yes. Did also. It. Yeah. All uh, the sounds pulled right from Guy Ritchie. Yes, yeah, thanks to Guy Ritchie. <laughs> all the sounds in it are funny. Like they're all cartoon mm-hmm. sound effects. Um and I think that's part of what makes it so pleasing, you know, instead of realistic sound effects. Uh it's used probably most successfully uh in the boxing match with Brad Pitt which you mentioned, like the last one. Um, if you watch the fight, everything except for the part where he falls in the tank, it's what mm-hmm. makes it feel so stylish is that he's cutting this just he's cutting really sloppy shots together, but the soundscape cuts music in and out at sort of whenever it wants to, and then like sometimes does like underwater sounds, uh, mm-hmm. and then like sometimes does like uh sounds like they're PTSD sounding displaced sounds and stuff it makes the whole thing feel more than a boxing match could feel right like there's even like white noise whooshes and stuff that are like whoa yeah uh, oh yeah and it yeah like that stuff m- was pretty uncommon in film up to that point even in television it wasn't done that much and it created this sort of emphasis on visceral hyperreality that has now become normal. Like now it's normal in films and television. Yeah, it's the cartoonization of live yes. action, which happened once the really the democratization of the tools, digital Correct. filmmaking. You know, like once the second that we put it on the computer, it was like, oh, I can be the Simpsons, (laughs) you know, like not like I can draw and do the make of Simpsons, the show, but like Simpsons like jokes where it's just about I can just do it. Yeah. It's just me and the camera and my friends and I can create it. Those are the easiest things to do if you can construct them correctly. And there's a ton of storytellers out there. And, you know, it's. We, yeah, that's You're right. I mean, Guy Ritchie, by the way, it isn't working in the at the digital level when he's doing this. No. He just has a grasp on the digital tools that would end up taking over the market and using those techniques and tools more efficiently earlier. That's really all it is. Um, yeah. Well, it's a lack of reverence for the photographic medium, correct. which doesn't mean that he doesn't respect it. It's that it's, it's like not I'm sacred. not going to, which is once again the punk rock mentality. Uh, it's just that disrespect right. that, that th- those actions that seem like disrespect, but really what it is, it's just like, you think it has to be this way. It doesn't. Uh, that's the really all he was the one saying that, which is a high praise, but that's true with anyone that's like seminal in the way that he obviously was. I mean, he was for these two films. Now I think his post, you know, his post swept away career, he he might have lost <laughs> yeah. his transgressive feelings, and maybe he never had them. Maybe they're all from Matthew Vaughn. I doubt it, but maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think you're right. You you summed it up perfectly. Like Guy Ritchie's legacy is that he found a new way to disregard the reverence for the production image, a thing that if you've gone to film right. school or made films, you you learn it as sacred. You know, and Guy right. Ritchie <clears throat> knew it enough to know how to destroy it. Uh, in a new way and it became the grammar of a generation of filmmakers you know i think it goes even deeper i'm ready time wise but well i think actually the 
if we want to talk about the popularization of it in America and Hollywood and then the spread of it as it goes over, I think that there's even more of a touchstone. And I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, I'm ready for it. the sabotage, sabotage video. Oh, yes. Of course. And and that was like 94. And that's Spike Jones. Right, he's using a big and camera. And if you look at his catalog, yeah. it's early 90s. And you, if you know where Spike Jones came from, he was like a scholastic like, I mean mm-hmm. that scholastic video artist, like that's where his start was, was just fucking around with like video cameras and film cameras and lights. And he obviously fell right into uh, like the musicality of music videos and like the like the speed that is dictated by um you know, just by a single kick drum and really going back to the basics in a primal way, thinking about editing. When you look at his work, he, he is doing like a Stan Brackage or a Norman McLaren thing. When you think about it, he has no reverence whatsoever for, uh, you know, uh, you constructing an image in a typical way. He's trying to go outside of, he's trying to show you like abstractions of the photographic medium. He, he broke you know, four cameras. Doing that kind of stuff. And people have done that for years. Uh, he's not the first video artist, but he was a very popular one at the time. Uh, and I think that he came out and made like a parody of something that was so ritualistically involved in like TV that it felt perfect. Like it's also like tied up in the MTV generation of the late 90s and early 2000s with like, you ever think, you ever just stop and think about pop rock like pop pop punk you know all those music videos like the jackass jackass is like back in vogue right now that shit is like the same kind of punk rock mentality those guys hung out with each other and they made movies with each other and i i argue that that like trend which i don't even know if it has a name neopunk i don't know (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know what cares the name of it is neopop punk era but like that generation really did make this like it's fun to troll in a way, but it's also kind of like stylistically it's cool. And it's like skateboarding videos. There's a lot of Spike Jones did a lot of skateboarding videos and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I think that because that predates and, but it was still on like global consciousness. I think that that definitely gave Guy Ritchie. Ideas. Oh, no doubt. Doesn't mean that his genius is not on display and, taking those ideas and captivating them in a new way in his way. But I am saying that like the thoughts were out there. No before. doubt. Uh, and nor, nor would I claim that anything I've described here is something that he invented. He didn't invent it. Uh, yeah. They're two very different. But he, as well. well, I think you're no, but you're right to compare sabotage with snatch. I think sabotage feels like snatch in some ways, you know, like uh, it, it, the tone of it feels like snatch in some ways. Like it's very like mocking mm-hmm. the thing that it's doing. Uh, yeah. And also, I mean, like, if you want to know how irreverent Spike Jones was toward traditional forms, he broke four cameras making that movie, making that sh- that little music video. He broke four cameras. So, yeah. like, uh, you know, that's a guy who's because he's a bad yeah. boy. He's a yeah. bad boy. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you can't yeah. even make that video now. It's so expensive to do. But at the time, it wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, relatively speaking. And a hundred percent, it it's maybe the earlier landmark. Uh, but it's still a music video, 
And I think that uh, and true, there's no narrative sequence. Yeah, I think that it's I think just that music Guy Ritchie and image. is a step on the staircase of uh, transgressive art forms that has sort of taken over digital filmmaking as kind of the only way that digital films are done. Um, unless you know, oh man, I mean, only I'm going to put in quotes the the biggest way, the most normative way the films are done. Oh man, and it. It doesn't stay in genre right. either. I mean, we did mention reality right. TV show, but like, try like I'd love to hear arguments against the concept, at least the allusion to, and you know, saying that it did contribute. Like when you look at the Judd Apatow comedy sequence totally. scene, where it's like lightly, slightly edited improv, you know, or whatever it is, um, that pacing, that like breakneck speed of joke is entirely influenced by an entire like generation of people who, who needed a faster edit. Yep. That's right. right? And it's just like, just give us the good shit and just r- rapid pace, please. Because they're right. They're right. When they said like, we're what, like the distracted generation or whatever. Yeah. Our speed was a lot quicker than your, your speed, you know, olds. We had the internet, everything was fast happening faster for us, you know? So, and it obviously still is. So that kind of, um, I don't know, that mentality to me like breaks genre. It means that it's just how we consume content now. It's it's bigger than Guy Ritchie, Absolutely. honestly. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, all it's bigger than any one person or even e- any, any group right. of people. Or any yeah. movement. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely bigger. But I think like all movements, there has to be somebody who uh, understood it just early enough to be the face of it or be a face of it. Yes. And that's, that's he is. True. And also, I mean, I think if the prosumer tools had not been like coming out concurrent with what he mm-hmm. was doing, it also wouldn't have mattered as much. Um, yeah. It did feel like you could get on the ground floor of a movie. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like when I say that people imitated his work, I did that. Like I like in 1999 mm-hmm. or 2000, I started to learn how to editing, like how to edit, and editing was the first thing I learned about filmmaking. Um, yeah, me too. I remember I when I was a young kid, I had like they had a it was called like Studio 400 or yeah. something like that, and it came like it was like yeah, zip yeah. discs, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it like came with a IR reader like that you plugged in like a dongle. They'd have to p- point at your camcorders. IR sensor, you know, mm-hmm. that little red glass, you know, and they would point and wirelessly transfer the, the, the data. <laughs> That's how you get footage off of it. It was a digital transcode. And like the image was, it was like 240 by 10, like 180 or something like that is like the smallest image, smaller than most GIFs. <laughs> that was my movie. I mean, I, re- it was I remember using editing for the first time a couple years before this uh with a program called media 100 uh i think it was like 97 96 something like that and uh it was the suite of tools that made it feel like i can now make videos whereas i didn't know how to do it before and that's again like when somebody who you know is light years ahead of you with the very tools that you have access to it changes your mind about what film is, you know? Uh, so, yeah. and I, I mean, now looking back, Snatch is really more of a fun 
disposable film than like a seminal work or whatever, but it does mm-hmm. have it does show the thing that he contributed to the zeitgeist that mm-hmm. matters, and uh, it'll always I'll always have a soft place for it, even though my God, Bricktop Bricktop is disgusting, like really really yeah. repugnant, uh, and also yeah. the racism's pretty rough, you know, it's yeah. pretty rough. It's it's weird that Brad Pitt was allowed to play that character when you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah his, uh, his, but his memorable accent uh, does like this movie was at the time considered his considered him like the most charming part of the movie. Oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah, yeah. All the reasons you're naming are the reasons that. The society in the year 2000 was like yes to bread for all those reasons yes 100 <laughs> percent. that's that's even wilder uh yeah when you think about yeah, it, it's like that should be a reprehensible sure. performance uh like if you're being re- i mean fair yeah. about it uh also by the way yeah. can i just say like one of like when i talk about cutaways like i can't tell you how like subtly important the cutaways are for uh, Frankie Fourfingers when they keep cutting to his gambling addiction stuff with with yeah, Viva Las Vegas. Not only is it funny, Viva, yeah, that's a funny yeah. song, but also what they show of him. It's like he is struggling every time they cut to him gambling. Mm-hmm. It's like it's bad for him, and you get all that in like a two seconds. You know, it's it's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Think of an Arrested yes. Development when they use music, like they bring back All You Need yep. Is Smiles, yep. you know, or like Big Yellow yep. Joint or whatever. They make these uh, dig- non-digetic music and they just play it for just a split second, pop back. Uh, yeah, I mean, 30 Rock does that. This is old hat, but it's like crazy to see it and be like, yeah, nothing really had. No one was doing that shit before. Right, this is one of the first times we did that. Uh I mean, I'm sure you can find like sm- smaller shows that like had a, a sequence that did it, but this is like it's this sh- snatches bread and butter is literally the yeah, cutaway. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. Well, that's it, buddy. I did it, and we did it. Yeah, you mm. did it. Like that. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I I could talk all day about like the influences of stuff on stuff. <laughs> you know, like that is a very fascinating conversation, but like, I don't feel like it's necessarily warranted because you pointed out a lot of great things. Uh, but it's like, it's just a great picture of like where we were at totally. the time. And it's an interesting time because it's literally 20 right. years ago. And that uh, is always an interesting time to be reflective. Like, we definitely have been thinking about like because all time has stopped now or all history is simultaneous now because the internet. But so we've been thinking about the two thousands and the two thousands tens and nineties all simultaneous. But like, I still feel like the early two thousands is like a mind that collectively like in the zeitgeist, we have not really had out how horrible, how horrible. Yeah, how many bad films there were. Yeah. It's true. It's yeah. interesting. To th- this movie is before 9-11. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't want to bring 9-11 into it. But, like, that's why it's fascinating yes. is you have movies stacked right next to, to each other that are completely different era. And I think it's especially fascinating, not just because 20 years ago is the perfect time to be like nostalgia is going to be rampant soon. But also... <laughs> 
that's happening now. Right. And that's right. crazy to me totally too, agree. to be a part of history, like repeating history in, in, in some ways, you know, like with everything that's happening, especially with COVID, like, it's just like, that is going to change the filmmaking, of course. And we just don't know how that's going to go until someone is like a guy, Ritchie or like a, uh, you know, a Spike, uh, Spike Jones, Jones or yeah. someone. Yeah, whatever the next method is, you know, which they are happening simultaneously. They're all these, there's stuff out right now that is like going to affect stuff for. No, I mean, I, yeah, like I think things like uh, Titan, I thought Titan was a sort of underrated, important film uh, Mm -hmm. because I think the idea of doing magical, realistic versions of stories like that. Uh, is mm-hmm. probably more effective than doing the straight drama version for me, at least. That's that's how I felt about that film, mm-hmm. and uh, it gives you license to abandon reality enough to get new emotions, and that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, there's people out there doing it. Uh, by the way, can I just say like one one thing that struck me again with this viewing of Snatch that again felt sort of proto internet is there were several characters that were basically just memes and they were made as memes. Like, uh, like for instance, Boris the blade, right? So Boris, the blade, the Russian, every single time he's on screen, same music cue. And like, he, he rarely Mm -hmm. has a line of dialogue that you can follow. And he's Mm -hmm. doing a thing with his head where he's like looking over his nose at you. That's so like much, so more, so much more than everyone else is doing at, being a cartoon um, that it's like, I feel like Guy Ritchie was yeah, he personifies a chicken at <laughs> one point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when he's stumbling out with a bag over his head, it's like, what he yeah. like, I feel like that's another way that Guy Ritchie kind of understood how to do a story in a new culture, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Boris the blade and other, other characters too, not just him were very much like, all you need to know about this guy is this sound cue and this look on his face. And that's what he's going to mm-hmm. be every time you see him on screen. Do you know what other movies he's in? Uh, I know he's like a, he's a Czechoslovakian actor, right? He's in the saint. Oh, he's he in is in the Mighty saint. Joe that's Young. right. No, he's Croatian. He's in, uh, he's eyes wide shut. Oh, he's he in is Stigmata. in eyes wide shut. <gasps> Did you know he's in space cowboys? Oh, he's in, he's in eyes wide shut. No way. <sighs> All of that happened before Snatch. Yeah, I mean, I the actor I'm sure is, and we, as you just showed, has done a lot of stuff. But the character of mm. Boris the Blade, <laughs> I feel like uh, Guy Ritchie knew how to like, you know, you get it. He's this. He's like Russian music plus hilarious body language plus looking over his nose at mm-hmm. you, and like that's all he is. You know, and like in a in a yeah. in a film that's like about a gangster pastiche, it's just a bunch of different uh, ridiculous gangsters. It makes him stand mm-hmm. out, you know. Oh, for sure, he's one of the more memorable performances in, and that's saying a lot. Benicio del Toro, amazing, Brad yeah. Pitt, doing like one of the bigger, louder roles of their careers. You know, uh, I mean, and then and then there's Benicio has done a lot. Top. You know, like the the thing with Benicio is, Bricktop is on a next level. I mean, level, he, he, yeah. he has so many incredible monologues. It's so funny that our 
our like comedy of errors arc with like Vince and right, all Vincent, them. It's yeah. like they're the ones that you feel like normal yes. people. They're the straight men, and they're just so dumb. <laughs> like they're the dumbest. But he has the best. He has some uh, of the best one-liners. Which is yeah, yeah, it's yeah. But I mean, it's just interesting to be like your. I guess Turkish is, Turkish is really the identity yeah, character. Yeah, it's his movie. But other than that, like it really does feel like they're the ones that aren't cartoons, and even they are just these bumbling fools. I would say um, Vincent and Saul feel more like real people, but they're but they're dumb. Uh, they're so bad at this. But like a bunch of these other characters, like Tommy and Gorgeous George, and like uh, and Tyrone, and like ninety percent of the characters in that movie are memes. You know, like Ty- like Tyrone is yeah. is yeah, like, is like uh is like big heavy guy with leather trying to get out of a car. That's who he is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, guy Ritchie's so good at that. Like, just like here's the scene that's exactly who this guy is. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. He arch- He's like not even playing archetypes at that point. He's creating memes. like legit like, memes. I mean, I think cartoons is still the best way to phrase it but yeah that i think memes are cartoons me too the reason i'm saying memes is that again it's not that he's actually making memes because memes are different but like that Mm -hmm. that these are the things that sort of fed into what is now a way of talking about anything you know yeah you're you're saying the the way in which we one of the ways in which we process information now is what didn't exist before, really. I mean, memes did exist before, but in the way that we're doing it is like, yeah, video and sound. Right, a little you know? postcard of who is just, this thing, or a GIF where it's just like you know, the basic property of editing. Uh, it repeats, right. you know, uh, and the GIFs can have editing in them. It's just all this stuff is like we're now talking about a visual language. We're not talking. A visual communal language, and I guess yeah, meme is right. the term. And, and like, I guess yeah, maybe I'm be, maybe maybe what I'm discovering is I I actually think Snatch matters historically. Uh, I didn't think I thought that an hour ago, but I think I, I think do think that guys, Richie. Yeah, I think Snatch and Lockstock definitely shook up the genre, and I think editing wise did set the standard. A lot of people saw it, and a lot of people were like, "Okay, it's funny, it's dramatic, it's terrifying, it's so many things. It can be so many things, and it's light on its feet in terms of like it just feels like a new, fresh experience." That they just people went to town with it. So that is artistry, you know, to me. That's very good. Good, good on you, yeah, Guy good Ritchie. Work, man. Even though, um, good work then. You know, your King Arthur was terrible. <laughs> Even though swept away happened, uh, but mm-hmm. hey, man, you did it though. Snatch still pretty, pretty fun to watch. You did it. Yeah. So put that in your pipe and smoke, Dude, it, man. Could you even imagine trying to direct one of any any one of those bricktop monologues? Like for real? Can you imagine having to like? figure out how to get the actor like what if the actor wasn't doing a great job what if alan ford wasn't doing a great job because he's an older guy so you can imagine some world where he doesn't want to be this guy right like you're yeah, dead that's, you're screwed that's, that's he's gotta only... be you're yeah. you're screwed you, it's casting yeah. the entire thing is well casting. the funny thing is he was in lock stock in a much more innocuous role you know 
but he knew he could yeah, accomplish right. that intensity. That's right. Because oh my, that's how he that's how he learned things. Yeah, God, he's wow, what a role. That's why I like working with like a sta- like a stable of actors if you can. If you can, just learn the quirks, yeah. Cassavetti style, baby. I mean, that's what that uh. is. A, that is a joyous thing. You can see why. Come over to my house. We're gonna make dinner. We'll rehearse in Greece. I'm John Cassavetes. I, I'm just grateful to have ever been cast in an Abe Epperson joint, so that I'm part of that stable now. That's that's my joint. Yeah, I make you a zombie though. I always make you. a Well, piece one of time, shit. if you remember, we did uh, the Game of Thrones writers' room where I that was mm-hmm. I had a lot of lines in that scene, <laughs> which I shouldn't yeah, have, did. but I did it. Uh, See. In order for me to get through that, like I had to think, like in my head, okay, for Adam's character's comedy to work, everyone has to hate him. <laughs> and he's like, he sucks. <laughs> like that's the idea, right? That was the sketch's point that you sucked, not uh, not Joffrey or whatever. Uh... The fucking Game of Thrones sucks. That's what sucks. <laughs> this has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.